Here at Bay FM, our motto is just great music, and I am very thankful to be speaking with an artist who is on high rotation here for many great reasons. After 16 albums, over 100 million streams, six ARIA awards, and decades of creating top-shelf tracks that have made us sing, dance, and feel. He is now headlining the Wynnum Fringe Festival on November 24th, so please welcome to the Sobey Party Mix for his own musician's journey, Diesel. Thanks for having me. You are extremely welcome. I'm a huge fan of your work, as are all of the listeners here at Bay FM. You are headlining the Wynnum Fringe November 24th. You're playing the Intimate Spiegel Tent. What have you got up your sleeve for this uh, intimate gig? I'm very lucky because I've done the Spiegel Tent. There's a couple of them, and it's very deceiving because they all feel like it's the same tent, but there's a few of them all built exactly the same, replicas, I guess, on the (laughs) original one. It's a couple of hundred years old, and then they built one like to look exactly like it, um, and you, you really can't tell the difference. But they travel around, and so I've done I've done it in Melbourne, I've done it in Adelaide, and I think I the one I just did here for the um, Fringe Festival in Sydney um, recently that that might, might be the same tent that's now being sent up up to Queensland. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I can only say that when it fills up with people and and you know, an artist gets to hit the stage. It's just such a beautiful environment for, for everyone. It's, it's one of those gigs where, I, you know, I, I can honestly say that my experience and, and the audience experience is on the, on the same level. It's, it's really great. Like, I, I haven't heard one person say that, you know, anything except really superlative, like, comments about, about the Spiegel tent. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that it, it, it made it up that way. And um, it's given me an excuse to, to come to that part of Queensland, which... I haven't really gotten to um, an awful lot for obvious reasons in the last couple of years. Yeah, it's been a tough couple of years for touring gigs, hasn't it? Yeah, look, I mean, every time that something opens up now, um, for instance, like we're going to Perth, I just found out in January for a festival there, and it's literally going to be three years. That's a frightening kind of thing to think because, Mm -hmm. you know, um, the cliche of like, you know, it is a cliche. I guess people say life is short, but it's actually quite a big truth and the fact that i haven't been to wa for three years kind of freaks me out <laughs> like, i've been to new york and a few other places thankfully um but yeah wa I, I, it's the longest time i think i've ever been away from from playing to one one particular part of australia for instance so but yeah i mean i, I'm, I don't think i'm on my pat malone there so you know there's a lot of musicians in the in the music industry that are saying similar things so it's just great to be to be playing again so this show, um, I've kind of taken into some of my Alone with Blues and Greatest Hits tour show. I have seen you live before. Is this one of the occasions where it's just you and the guitar on stage? Yeah, I have um, a bunch of instruments. And um, one of them is, a, a like, I've been bringing a double bass with me and doing this, uh, one part of the show with that. Doing some things from the blues record, doing some, you know, what I call it, like, standards. Yeah. <laughs> and then just... Yeah, I trawl through, yeah, hits, basically, for like people mm. wondering what they're going to get. They're going to get a lot of hits. Great. When it is just you solo on stage with the favourite guitars, I've got to ask, is the set sometimes built around the guitars you want to bring on tour, or does the set list always come first? Yeah, no, it's definitely, like, sometimes I have to work with what, what I've got because I've, I pack my guitars for a certain show, and then I know the next one's going to be that show, and it's like, well, okay this is what I've got to use tonight. They're like, you know, 
colors on a palette or something. So mm. I have lots of different tunings, instruments that like live in specific tunings that are just for like one thing, you know? And so um, it sounds a bit indulgent and a bit like luxurious, but I guess, yeah, I've, I've kind of, you know, over the years I've grown to kind of like be very specific about what I want for it. I mean, you know, of course I could do the show with one, one guitar, but like, that would be a little boring for me and mm-hmm. probably for the, maybe for the audience too. I really like to have lots of different textures and, and tunings are definitely a way of like, you know, fanning it out sort of with a baritone, for instance, oh. or on 12 strings that are like three different 12 strings and different tunings. I mean, yeah, that's, and I don't like to stop and have to tune in between. <laughs> like, really? No, it can be rough. do that, and that, that's fine. But, yeah, it, uh, people come to see a show, the last thing they want to do is, like, hang on, I've just got to retune the guitar. I'll tell a joke or something. And I, <laughs> I, I just want to be able to pick up a guitar that's ready in the right tuning. So, yeah, that means having a lot of guitars, unfortunately. But or fortunately. Yeah, fortunately. Exactly. Yes. And I have to ask... How many guitars do you actually own at the moment? You know, not as many as you'd think. Okay. I, I don't... Well, I mean, look, there's a, there's a lot. I mean, I'm sitting in my studio as we speak, and I'm I'm looking at quite a few. But again, they're all really different different species, I like to think. There's a sort of, yeah, very specific to, to different needs. And you can call them all guitars, but they're all really, really different. So yeah. when, it, when, when it comes time to recording, I, I, I kind of go through and I, I kind of sort of meditate on what you know as i'm making the song writing it making the track whatever it's like okay i think i'm gonna use that one on that pit and this one on that part like an artist i guess would grab different brushes or different colors or different textures or whatever mm. but, yeah I, I, it's a nice palette i've got i've definitely got a big box of crayons i'm i'm not like i'm i'm not stuck with just the primary box of six crayons or i've got the deluxe box of crayons yeah <laughs> that, i imagine you one. would <laughs> The one as a kid, I wanted the one with the sharpener built into it, you know? Yes. Um, yeah, the Crayolas with the big big sharpener on the side. That, that was my dream. So, yeah, I mean, I think I, I probably have it in excess of about 35, I'd say, all oh. up there to the question. Um, and I've got the ones that go on the road with me. They're like the touring, the touring soldiers. Mm. And I wouldn't say they're not, you know, I would, I would not be upset if they got damaged or anything, but they're not. It's nothing that I'd like to think can't not be replaced. And then there's the ones that I have in my studio, which are quite, some of them are quite, you know, old. They're real antiquities, some of them. The classics. And, um, yeah, well, you know, a good piece of wood just gets better with age. Like most of the time, they just get better and better as they get older. Well, I have no doubt that the show at the Spiegel Tent will be a brilliant show and... For our listeners, if you don't already have your tickets, we will be giving away a double pass to Diesel's gig at the Wynnum Fringe very shortly. It's a great, it's a really great environment. That's all I can say. And, you know, there's other things on as well. We're definitely worth checking out comedy and all kinds of things. So it's, it's not just music, but I'm glad music is a big, big component of the whole festival. Well, with you and Marsha Hines headlining, can it go wrong? <laughs> well, Marsha, I mean, she just, I'm sure she just like absolutely, you know, swims in that environment, she should be loving the environment, no mm. doubt. Well, this is the segment we like to call the musician's journey. So I would actually like to rewind the clock for a moment and talk about some music that you said was ingrained in your head at a very early age. Some of the music from your dad Hank's record collection. Yeah, my dad, you know, my, my brothers and sisters too, because they were all, you know, older than me. I'm the youngest of seven. So there were siblings that w- were able to have, 
some disposable income from mm-hmm. part-time jobs and things. So between my dad and my older brothers and sisters, there was like on a weekly basis, there was a, I would say on average, like two or three records coming into the house all the time. Mm. And um, <clears throat> yeah, it was really a great environment for me. All I, <clears throat> all I had to do was just um, drop the needle and, and, and scratch them. That, that was my job. <laughs> Because <laughs> uh, is it correct that uh, a lot of your dad's record collection inspired the recent album Alone with Blues? Yeah, look, you know the blues thing set fire very early on with me. It was it was a kind of a, a gravitational pull for me because there was a lot of different music being played, but that was the sort of stuff that I gravitated towards. And like, no matter how far I think I've strayed from the blues, I never. It's it's, it's almost like the breadcrumbs that I drop, like in the Goldie. Is it Goldilocks mm-hmm. or, or is it Hansel and Gretel that drop the bread lo- the breadcrumbs? Hansel so, and Gretel. Yeah. So if I stray away in the forest, of the breadcrumbs are, are the blues for me. Like they they always they they'll always lead me back. You know, what kind of stylings I think I'm doing to a song, and, and I I'll, I'll listen to it at some point and go, no, this yeah this it's still got the blues kind of element in it. It just doesn't. I never stray that far. You know, I do experiment with other soundscapes and genres, I suppose, if you want to call them that. But, I, yeah, it's a DNA kind of thing for me, I think. Well, when we throw to um, a block of music of yours, we're going to start it off with your version of Hoochie Coochie Man. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's the song that I've actually been doing in the set. It's it's a fun song to play. <laughs> I've always loved the, the whole swagger of it. And, oh. You know, Muddy Waters. Well, yeah, one of my favorite albums is the the one that he did. Um, it's kind of uh, quite later in his career called Hard Again. Mm-hmm. And I think there's um, there's just this exuberance at the end of the track where they all kind of erupt and kind of go, yeah, and start laughing. And, he, and Muddy says, like, yeah, I think we got that one down. Yeah. And, it's like, yeah. and they sure did. You know, it's like, it's the best, best four and a half minutes you'll ever hear. Oh, no, I was, you know, <laughs> listening to a lot of your music, prepping for today's interview, and... Hoochie Coochie Man came on and I stopped what I was doing. What a great version of that song. Yeah, you know, I mean, I couldn't believe I was actually creating something that sounded like a bunch of people, basically, when I was making the blues album. Even I was surprised myself. I was like, it actually sounds like a bunch of people in a room, actually, but it's just me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's good. But then I thought, well, hang on, Stevie Wonder albums, especially the earlier ones, before he started sort of getting a few more people in, but... They're, they're, it's basically just him layering things on top, you know, one thing at a time. Obviously, you can't play more than one instrument at a time, but and then it sounds like a like a band in the end. And so, I just had to keep thinking about that and thinking, well, you know, it, it, as strange as it feels, one person doing it all, it, it's it's the end result that that all that matters really. To my brother, actually, Hoochie Coochie was the first thing that I got to play to anybody. Um, when when we when we were allowed to like go beyond five kilometers, and my brother drove up from the south coast and stopped in, and I said, "Hey, you know, I've been making this album. Do you want to hear something?" I played that to him, and he, I think I must have had to play it like eight times in a row to him because he just kept saying, "Play it again, play mm-hmm. it again." I'm like, okay, but he he just he was like, "Man, the vibe on that," he, he couldn't believe it. So I thought that's good, you know. Bay FM, more than just great music. It's an easy audience, my brother, because I know he's, you know, there's a lot of love, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's funny, like playing things to family for me is always like frightening. I'd much rather play it to a perfect stranger. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's bizarre. But yeah, I always feel like my family is like my toughest audience. Well, you and your family came out to <laughs> Australia from Fall River, Massachusetts, when you were about 
five and somewhere between yeah. winning Battle of the Bands with Dark Spot in 81 and then forming the Injectors yeah. in 86, the name Johnny Diesel came about. Yeah, it was, it was a kind of a, um, a joke, actually, because we'd all come from another band called Innocent Bystanders and the main singer, songwriter, well, he was the singer and songwriter, not the main one. He was the only singer-songwriter in the band. Decided to kind of pull the pin on that just before making the, the album, per se, but we'd made it singles. And so they all sort of decided to stay with me. They were all like, encouraged that, you know, there were phone calls the next morning. And they were like, well, how about we start a band and we want to, you know, do something with you. And I'm like, okay. So that was the kind of the impetus for me to start writing. Mm-hmm. We didn't even think about a name. We, we started doing a gig well, like once a week. It's hard to imagine, but we were just like a band with no name that played at the back of this nightclub at, you know, from 11 o'clock till three in the morning on a, like a Tuesday or Wednesday night. And then the, the lovely woman that, that booked the, the room, she was kind of a big music supporter. And she said, look, you know, how about we put in something in the paper, we try to, you know, hype it up a bit, get a few more people. What do you call? And we're, I'm like, uh, I don't know, leave it with me. And a friend of ours, he was really like the sort of person that every band needs when they're starting because he would come and help us lump the gear in and, and do lights for us. His friend, Steve, he just heard that our bass player was about to have another baby with his, with his partner at the time. And, and he thought, oh, that's cute. Uh, you know, little Johnny D, because his name is John Delzell. So he got the name from that and made a little joke out of it. I was sitting on the floor in the house because I, sh- I was sharing a house. And I thought, oh, that's funny. And then when I spoke to the woman later in the day, I, you know, she asked me again, about the name thing and I said oh yeah I've got a name and I thought I'll I'll put this in just for one week and we'll make a joke out of it (laughs) that's how it all happened so it wasn't even intended for myself so wow okay I've always been curious about that thank you for answering that one and I'm I'm sure you've answered it so many times well no it's fine it's not one of those things that people know you know it's it's really Mm. by the time the record comes out everyone's just I had to just go along with it. It was it was kind of one of those conversations that I had with, with our manager. It was like, are you going to explain to every single person on the planet? I'm like, well, clearly that's not an option. I just have to go with it and be yeah. like, yep, that's me. And then I never thought it was such a big deal because it was like, ah, oh, it's just the name of a band. And then I realized, boy, did I get an education in branding after that, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> brands really stick. But, you know, it's okay. I think... Most people know my name now um, through the years, and if they don't, it's no big deal. I'm not that precious about it, to be honest. The people that need to know my name is Mark Lazard, no, and the people that don't need to know, I guess they'll never, never will, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Well, and then when you were with the Injectors, you released that album, and you won Aria Award for the highest selling album of, in 1990. And yeah. you've not really looked back since. No, I mean, look, you know, I mean that was a good start <laughs> to put it um, mildly it was a start way beyond anyone's expectation it was certainly we didn't sort of see that coming we, we definitely did not see anything like that coming and all of a sudden you know we were on this juggernaut of a tour that just kept going and going and going and around the world two or three times BFM 100.3 live and local across the basin woo <laughs> Around that time of, you know, I guess leading into 1991 was when I just felt that it, the making the record again or an album number two, as they could say, was just, it just didn't feel like something that I, one, had in me, two, wanted to do. I just 
if I didn't feel it, like how can I do it? You know, I I wasn't I didn't have a vision basically, and and then all of a sudden the vision came. It was like I need to be a solo artist because I started getting all these ideas about other sounds and stuff, and you know what you hear on Head Fidelity is is that vision come to life. Mm. So it was pretty clear that making my band suddenly like change all their spots and stripes and everything, it just wasn't, you know, it, it, that band thing was for one album, whether I knew it or not, well, I didn't know it, but I, I was about to find out. And that's, you know, people kind of, has as a hard pill to swallow. It's like, there's still some people, why'd you break up the injectors? It's like, are you kidding? <laughs> it's like, I made an album. What, who says I have to make 14 albums after that? It was a project, you know, yeah. and I'm grateful for it. <laughs> and it was fun. And it was, a, you know, the album came out and I'm happy the way it came out and everything. But I moved on, you know, mm. I let do. And, and there was no plan of like, we're going to make five albums. Or we're going to make 10 albums or whatever. We're going to be together as long as you two or the Rolling Stones or something. Like, it was just one of those things that happened. And, and then, you know, then my solo career started. That's all I can say. Yeah, your solo uh, career started with Hip Fidelity, yeah. that one album of the year. Yeah, I mean, so- look, that could have been a disaster. It really could have been, especially like after having a successful album. It doesn't matter what you do. It's like people, you know, the knives are out, as they say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think if I would have made a record that sounded just like the first album, but maybe not as good or something, people would have been like, well, what for? Why did why did that happen? Why didn't they just keep on the same wicket, you know, mm-hmm. and just milk the cow a bit more and whatever? But the record was so different, people were kind of like, oh, okay, I can see why, you know, that the second album from that particular scenario didn't happen because this this is really different, you know, and I've been sort of making different records ever since, you know, that's the, kind of my goal anyway. I, I don't want to keep making the same record. No. It's not that there's anything wrong with that. Some people do that and they do it really well, you know, but that's not my thing. You're actually re-releasing Hip Fidelity as a double album in its 30th yeah, no. year anniversary. How did you select the tracks to flesh it out into a double album? Through lockdown and stuff, I started going through things anyway, just out of curiosity. <laughs> and it's funny because then Universal came to me and said, well, they wanted to do this re-release. What have you got? Like as far as extra tracks. And I said, well, let me have a look. I think, you know, I've got, at least 10 things that I can pull out. It's a bit, I've got a bit of a vault of stuff, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I've got another 10 albums or whatever stuff. I probably have more than 10 albums, but whether I want to release them or not, I don't, I, I can't say, but the, these ones felt right for Hep Fidelity re-release because they were all from around that time. They were sort of relative. Some of them could have been easily contenders to make it on their album, but they just, you know, they, they didn't kind of get spun into the machine. Oh, yeah, it was fun, kind of going back and they all sounded like things that I had almost, almost felt like things I'd never heard of before because it had been so long. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what this is. Oh, I vaguely remember making this, but it's almost like something from another artist from my ears because, I mean, that's a lot of time to pass. But then, yeah, a few more, a few repeat listens and then things start coming back and then you start remembering, oh, yeah, I remember I was in I was in that studio or I was in that house and I had that drum kit or this and that and all the bits of gear start reminiscing and revisualize, you know, the, everything that you were using at the time and stuff. It all comes kind of washing back. <laughs> Music can do that. Music really brings back a lot of things, you know. So, but yeah, it was, it was a fun project to do and, and to end up being all on vinyl because Fidelity never was released on vinyl. So it was actually really nice to hear it on vinyl for the first time. Hey everyone, it's Diesel here and you're listening to Bay FM. Recently, you've actually added something else to your repertoire. You're hosting your own TV show called Days Like These on ABC, now available on ABC iView. 
What was the experience like doing that program? And did you get to pick the artists that you highlighted on that series? Yes, and it was great experience. Um, I love talking about music to people. And did I get to pick stuff? To a certain degree, there's a lot of stuff still. I mean, there's so much music when you start, you know, really boiling it down to mm. like what what has come out of this, this country. It's, it's insane. So it was more of a case of what fell from the tree when we shook the tree, as far as like with licensing and there's more more shows coming any minute now. I just saw an email coming through about the, the rest of the this series coming through very shortly. So there's another five eps that I know of that are coming down the pipe, some incredible ones. So, yeah, keep keep watching iView or, like, just watch my socials and you'll see what's coming. Absolutely we will because that is a brilliant program. I, and I particularly love your episode where your brother Brian gets to sort of interview you. Yeah. I mean, that was not something I didn't expect that, you know, but it's just great because Brian was a part of the show that particular night. So it's good hearing his, you know, his different perspective from, from someone who was, you know, joining us on stage and being in the audience as well. Well, that night you had your brother uh, Brian on trombone, your other brother Michael, Michael on saxophone and your dad on sax as well. Dad Hank, yeah. Hank was, um, you know, we were doing as many things as we could to keep um, him busy because my mum had passed a few years before that and, you know, he chose to, like, get really busy and make lots of music, which was great, you know. he Yeah, he chose to kind of do a bunch of projects. And one of them was that, and the other one was Project Blues record that I made. And here in Sydney, we brought him up for and It was great, like, getting him to do all these, like, Chicago blues songs with a mm. very sax-heavy section. I think we had two tenors and a baritone, and I... And I let my brother play trombone because, you know, I had you know, it's like, well, you play trombone, Brian, we'll let you in as well. But but the sound of like the Chicago blues sound was just all saxophones. That that's a real Chicago sound. Oh, well, as a Barry Sax player myself, I very yeah. much appreciated Oh yeah. That your episode in that series was just mint. Thank you. It was, you know, a great, great thing to do and um hopefully there will be some more of them because like, yeah, there's so much more music left un- untouched really. That's just scraping, just like, we're just scraping the surface. Thank you so much for joining us here on Bay FM. And personally, I want to say thank you for the music because my love life would certainly not be the same without it. And we look forward to seeing you at the Wynnum Fringe. No worries. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting up there. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yes. Thanks, Cheers. Honey. Talk to you next time.